The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Uh, I am Eli. I'm Diana. Uh, We're so excited for another episode of Ridiculous Romance. Here on Valentine's Day, or when you'll be hearing this shortly after Valentine's Day. Yeah. But this is how we're <laughs> spending our Valentine's Day. We're not, not huge I'm... Valentine's people. No, that's what I was about to say. I don't really expect much for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to get, like, a boat, you know, truck, truck. So flowers and <laughs> crazy jewelry or anything. Oh, shit. I so, should call off the truck? No. I mean, if there's a truck on the way. Oh, okay. Well, at least we've each found each other who cares an equal amount about Valentine's right. Day. It's like, it's nice. It's like, a, like we said hello this morning, you know, gave it a little like, hello. oh, good morning. That's good to, right. Good to see you again. Oh, no, oh a, a, what a special day. We'll, we um, shook hands. We shook hands. <laughs> it's very formal. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice to know the magic's not totally fizzled <laughs> out. No, we celebrated over the weekend. We went and saw Wildwoods Aglow at Fernbank, which yeah. is like a natural history museum. And they had this whole, like, really cool exhibit about color and light. It was really cool. It's like this after hours thing, adults mm-hmm. only. That's right. From like 7 to 11. And they're like, we've got this outdoor light show you can go see. And you can buy drinks in the lobby under the big dinosaur skeletons. <laughs> and there's like a band that played for a minute. Yeah. And then the museum is yours to explore. And I think we both learned that maybe 9.30 p.m. with a drink in your hand isn't when you particularly want to be walking around a museum and reading a lot of Not things really. on tiny cards. Yeah. But it was still cool to be in there. I definitely was like, I like a natural history museum, but I'm just like not interested in learning right now. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> we like, like got to the shells and I was like, whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, you were done around the shells. I was done around. I was like yeah, a Nautilus. Shell collection. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> because there was also a lot of drunk people, weirdly. Right. Like people weirdly. got there and went hard early. Or they were just like walking by everything really fast. I know. It's yeah, that's this whole sound bath in their like mushroom garden. <laughs> You're supposed to just like get lost in these these humming tones that are playing That's while these right. mushrooms light up and it was beautiful and then we're like oh yeah well, what jenny say oh yeah well what steve say oh steve classic steve <laughs> and i was like dudes we're in the sound bath i know Chill out. i don't want to be bathed in your bro talk <laughs> shut up <laughs> Which I was kind of laughing because I'm normally I'm a person who's like, well, whatever. They're enjoying themselves. Like, absolutely. Fine. It's kind of fun sometimes to let snatches of other people's conversation. hundred percent. Come to your ear and you're like, what? Yeah. Like fill in the blank with whatever you like. It's like speculation station out in the wild. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, but yeah, for some reason, I was just I was just I was like, I feel annoyed. Well, because <laughs> I'm annoyed today. The, the it was an outdoor meditative exhibit about sound. Yeah, I so guess it was like this yeah. is the worst place for that. If, I mean, you know, we're inside, walking around it was like, what the I shells. <laughs> yes. Sure, I would love to catch snippets of your absolutely insane conversation Which while we I'm did. touring the shells. Did you listen? Did you hear that in the shells? No, what room was, was that girl oh, yeah. was yelling? She was talking to her friend about like another friend of theirs, <laughs> and like clearly they were disagreeing about Palestine and Israel. <laughs> yeah, like right. it was something very <laughs> serious. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> why are y'all talking about this right now? In the shells exhibit, she's like, I just can't hang out with him after what he said about <laughs> Palestine. <laughs> and I was like, what did he say? I was, <laughs> I was like, How? so in their conversation. <laughs> right? How did it get to this here? <laughs> it was very serious. I. <laughs> Like, mm. Incredible. <laughs> I feel like you should save that for another time. <laughs> but the highlight of the weekend, I yes. think, was um, when we got to go see Mark Evan Jackson at yes. the Plaza Theater. In an improv show, yeah. In an improv show, who I, you know, if you don't know who he is, he's Kevin Cosner on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> and he's Sean the Demon in Good Place. Yeah. Several, he's really if, funny, so dry. If you don't know who he is, you probably do. You Just pr- look exactly. him up and you'll be like, oh yeah, that guy. Very true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. And we, it was like some hometown improv heroes yes. on stage with him and it was really funny. And But it was cool to like see someone, oh, he's not a goofy person. Right. But like, he was so funny just so dry and his delivery is so wry and stuff that like he I don't know, he just gets you he, yeah he, he'll say one thing and it's just the delivery fucking tickles you yeah like, you'll have <laughs> like the most mundane line that he'll yes. deliver in a way that just has everybody rolling oh, that's just God. a real talent that some people have it is it yeah is. that's like truly funny but enough about us and our <laughs> ridiculous romance mm-hmm. y'all didn't tune in for that you turned in to hear this incredible story. Uh, I love this one. Because today we want to tell you about Agnes of Dunbar. Uh, She was married to Patrick, the Earl of March, but Patrick was away from home fighting for Scottish independence when British troops pulled up on Agnes and tried to besiege her castle. But she held on to it in a fight so legendary that the story has been passed down for centuries as a model example of Scottish bravery and defiance. So let's hear about sticky Scottish politics, four different Edwards, and how Agnes made herself the 
star of the story. Yes, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. All right. Well, before we get into Agnes of Dunbar, we do need a little bit of background. That's true. And that means it's time to throw caution to the winds, follow our hearts, and have ourselves a quick fling with history. I won't tell anyone. I promise. So Scotland was ruled by King Alexander III until he died unexpectedly after being thrown from his horse in 1286. Oh, whoops. I feel like that. Probably happened to a lot of folks. Yeah, <laughs> it's, what, what a weird. We don't we don't lose rulers like that anymore. You Not know, really. that'd be like if George W. Bush had choked on that pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, whoa, a weird accident. Oh. And suddenly, we need a new ruler of our country. Unusual. Whoops. So some Scots lords. 13, to be exact, started vying for this throne. But the two most credible claimants were John Balliol and Robert Bruce. They were both descended from David I, who was the king of Scotland in the 1100s. So they had like blood lines were right and all that stuff. Very Stannis and Renly once again. Yes. Classic, Very much uh, so. yeah. So obviously, a civil war was to be avoided. Nobody wanted that. Right. So the nobility of Scotland approached the English king, Edward I, and they asked him to arbitrate the dispute, basically pick the king that he wanted. Huh. And Edward I was happy to do it, but only if everyone agreed that Scotland was under the authority of England. So any oh. king of theirs was still just a subject of his. So Edward I basically like, Oh, yes, I'll pick your king. It's me. I know, basically. <laughs> I mean, he may as well have just said that. Uh-huh. But Robert Bruce and John Balliol both agreed okay. that they would bend the knee to the king of England, whoever he picked. And eventually, Edward I picked John Balliol to be king of Scotland in 1292. That was that. Well, that wasn't that, uh, because Edward I just kept pushing it. You know, first, you know, you give a mouse a cookie... First, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you'll, I'll let you be king, but you got to listen to me. And then he starts undermining Scotland and their new king at every turn. He forced them to pay homage to England. And once he even required King John Balliol to show up in court and face charges like some commoner. Right, some petty shit, That's too. not something, that, that, uh, that is literally just to, like a power move to make you look weak. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's exactly how they took it. Yep. Now, John was willing to compromise with England. And that really soured his Scottish subjects on him pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. The straw that broke the camel's back, though, was when Edward I demanded that the Scots supply him with soldiers to fight England's war with France. Hmm. Scottish nobility is like, hell no. We're not not about to send you everything we got so you can fight the French. We don't care about the French. (laughs) We like a croissant. (laughs) So the Scots convened a council and they negotiated a treaty with France behind England's back, right? <laughs> like, where I'm not sending you shit. We're actually friends with them, actually, didn't you know? we're not at war with France, so why don't you eat dirt? Right? Well, this royally pissed off Royal Edward I, and he besieged Scotland at Dunbar, and he won, taking over the castle of Dunbar, which is one of Scotland's strongest and most strategically important fortresses. King John Balliol was forced to abdicate, and the arms of Scotland were ripped off his coat leading to his enduring nickname of Tomb Tabard, meaning empty coats. And this oh. also refers to him being like an ineffective ruler. 
Which I love. Yeah. I love them acting like they're like, oh, a coat's here. There's no guy in <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're just like, oh, Tomb Tabard's here. Well, Edward I had pushed Scotland too far this time. It basically kicked off William Wallace's uprising oh. and the Scottish Wars for Independence. Robert Bruce died, but his son, Robert the Bruce, oh. felt like his family still had a claim to the throne of Scotland. Now, he helped William Wallace fight the British. And then he realized, you know, they're never going to restore John Balliol to the throne mm. of Scotland. Right. So I think I should have it. <laughs> <laughs> so he killed his main rival, John Comyn, in 1306, went into hiding and waged pretty much the most effective guerrilla war in history against Clan Comyn and King Edward II this time, who was crowned in 1307. Mm. So we're on to our second Edward. <laughs> this is that movie with Chris Pine, right? That's the, right, The Outlaw King. The Outlaw King, King. Yeah. yes. And Jodie Comer, I believe, plays his wife. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I Indeed. liked that movie. It was good, right? Yeah. And I love Chris Pine, so I was just like, You whatever. do love Chris Pine. I know. <laughs> I really do. You're Valentine. My Valentine, Chris Pine. <laughs> Valentine. <laughs> My Valentine. <laughs> so, yeah, Robert the Bruce is fighting this war for years, and the turning point was the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314, when Robert the Bruce delivered a stunning defeat to the English. This is when we meet Patrick Dunbar, one of our subjects today. He was the Earl of March, and his dad was one of the 13 claimants to King Alexander's crown. If you remember, there was 13 Scots who came in and said, well, we should be king after that mm -hmm. guy fell off the horse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, his dad, after King Edward I picked a king for Scotland, his dad was like, okay, I'll side with the English here. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. And Patrick Dunbar followed in his father's footsteps. He received payments from the English crown to help sort of keep the Scots in line. Now, he had to deal with both sides all the time, as Deborah McGillivray writes in her article, A Tale of Two Women and One Castle, because Patrick Dunbar's lands were always kind of caught in the middle, English, Scottish, English, Scottish. Mm -hmm. Both Robert the Bruce and his younger brother, Edward Bruce, loved to raid Dunbar lands for supplies, while the English garrisons were also waging war there. And that just put everyone in danger. And he's kind of being impoverished by both sides. Right. Patrick had to play a pretty daring diplomatic game to keep himself and his people and his property safe. However, as much as his dad had ridden with Edward I, his mother had taken a stand for the Scots, and she defended Castle Dunbar from the English when Patrick was only 11 years old. Mm. So he had this really contradictory life, it seems, right? right. Mom's Scottish, dad's with the English. I'm totally torn in between them. And in 1314, at the Battle of Bannockburn, Patrick gave quarter to King Edward II in Dunbar Castle and helped him to escape by boat back to England. So that mm -hmm. seemed like he pretty firmly took a side there. Like, I've got the right. English king right here. I'm going to sneak him out. But almost as soon as Edward II was out of Scotland, Patrick turned around and made peace with his cousin, Robert the Bruce, and decided to fight for Scottish independence. Oh, wow, okay. So he was sort of feeling flip-floppy at this time yeah, in his yeah. life. He wasn't really sure what was the best bet. So Patrick Dunbar is listed as being present at Robert the Bruce's first parliament in 1315. And he took part in the Scottish siege at Berwick, which is an important border town. And he was one of Robert the Bruce's commanders. So oh, he was okay. like a very trusted part of the Scottish fight for independence. And in 1318, Patrick married Agnes Randolph. Oh, from the title of the episode. Yeah, Finally. Agnes. There, there she, she is. is. 
Now, Agnes was Robert the Bruce's nephew's daughter. We don't know for sure if they loved each other. There's no, like, fun love letters to read you from Patrick to Agnes or vice versa. But Deborah McGillivray points out that they did have to go through quite a bit to make their marriage legal. Mm. So they must have really wanted it. Agnes and Patrick were second cousins, so they had to get a papal dispensation to wed. Classic. The Pope was like, oh, you're not quite related enough. <laughs> second cousins. We prefer niece and uncle, but okay. <laughs> and then they had to get a second dispensation in order to make any children they may have their legal heirs. Because oh. Agnes's sister had married Patrick's brother. So there's just too many, oh, like, crossing so of the streams like in the family Like two siblings. Tree. It'd be like if my sister married your brother, which is the most insane thing I can would imagine. Would never work. No. Any, either of your sisters. Either of my sisters. Would not. And your brother. <laughs> not, uh, absolutely not. Oh, uh, laugh, laughable. Chaos. Laughable is what it is. <laughs> so it's possible that there was some feelings on either side. But also, this was actually a very advantageous marriage. It's, okay. You know, one of those, possibly a business proposition. More You're than telling anything. me nobility in Europe in the 13th century was marrying strategically? I am for telling love? you that. Shocking. Can't handle it. Shocking, but true. No, this was a very advantageous marriage because Agnes was the eldest daughter of Thomas Randolph, so she had a huge inheritance that would just add a lot to Patrick's already vast land holdings and personal wealth. Mm, sure. Robert the Bruce would get the Dunbar clan's help to subdue Clan Coman, his enemies at home. And Patrick would get Robert's generals, which included his new father-in-law, Thomas Randolph, to stop raiding his lands all the time. Because they would actually care because it was their family's lands now. (laughs) So it was truly a win-win for everybody. Oh, and here's a little, just a historic note. Agnes is often called Black Agnes, which historians take to mean that she had dark hair or like a swarthy complexion. But Deborah McGillivray points out that in Scottish clans, they refer to the black branch of the family tree, meaning the eldest, and the red branch, meaning the youngest. So Black Agnes could just be a reference to her being the eldest child rather than have anything to do with her physical appearance. Well, meanwhile, Scotland is bumping along through this fight. You've got Bruce's fighting Comans. You've got Ireland getting involved. Everyone's fighting the English. And then some real drama hit in 1327. Edward II was deposed by his own queen, Isabella, and her lover, Roger Mortimer. And he was forced to abdicate to his own son, Edward III, even though that kid was only 14 years old at the time. So bonus classic romance here in this episode of a, of a queen and her lover overtaking mm-hmm. her husband, the king, That's right. putting their kid on the throne so that they could really be in charge. She hated Edward II. Oh, sure. <laughs> she yeah, really she did must not have. care for him. Because since Edward III was so young, of course, Isabella and her lover Roger Mortimer conducted negotiations with the Scots in his name. And they signed the Treaty of Northumberland in 1328, which recognized Robert the Bruce as the King of Scotland. Hey! Bing, bang, bong. Scotland's independent. War's over, everybody. Toot your bagpipes. <laughs> Everybody's happy. But... Everybody wasn't happy, nope. particularly the English. <laughs> Not at all. This made Roger and Isabella really unpopular. And that went along with a lot of moves they made that were really unpopular mm-hmm. with the people. And so in 1330, when he was just 17 years old, their son, Edward III, whom they had conspired to put on the throne, 
led a coup d'etat against them. And he executed Roger Mortimer and exiled his own mother, Isabella. Now that Edward III was really in charge, 100%, he turned his eyes back towards Scotland once mm -hmm. more. Robert the Bruce, who had been made king by Isabella and Mortimer, had died. And his toddler son, the five-year-old David II, was king now. Edward III was like, well, I was a 14-year-old king. I know how weak a five-year-old king would be. <laughs> and he decided to take advantage of the situation because he didn't really like the decision that his mother made, much like the rest of England. And he's like, uh, independent Scotland? Never heard of it. No way. And he said that John Balliol, remember him, the tomb tabard guy? He was the last real king of Scotland, which means... David II, Robert the Bruce's son, this little five-year-old, was just a pretender to the throne. He had no real claim. Mm -hmm. The real king of Scotland would be John Balliol's son, Edward Balliol. Our fourth Edward. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was time to fight a Balliol again, uh -huh. and Patrick Dunbar was ready. But it would be Agnes's battle that would go down in history, and we will find out more about that right after this. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. 
I do love your Scottish accent. Oh, thank you. So good. It's so fun to do. I hope it's not too offensive and terrible. It really is fun. <laughs> we'll have to hear from some of our Scottish yeah. listeners. Oh, Are you offended us. by our shitty uh, Scottish Something accent? tells me that our Scottish friends won't be shy about expressing their opinions. I'm not getting the impression from this episode or any others. <laughs> <laughs> any others yeah, that not Scots a, are shy. Not a timid people. Not so much. <laughs> All right, so we're dealing with Edward III, right, who has decided Scotland ain't independent. It's a vassal of England, and I want to be the guy who crushes it once and for all. So in 1332, Patrick was appointed a guardian of Scotland and the regent. So he was acting for the infant David II. Okay, okay. Wait, so our boy Patrick, Patrick Dunbar, is now acting as the regent for this five-year-old who'd been made king after Robert the Bruce died. That's right. That's not a bad gig. No, and it shows you how trusted of a person he must have been for Robert the Bruce. Yeah, you could see Chris Pine on his deathbed with that (laughs) mullet grabbing (laughs) Patrick's arm. It's gotta be you, man. Why does he sound like... (laughs) (laughs) That's what Chris Pine sounds like That's true. (laughs) He's just a book-reading hippie. It's gotta be you, man. (laughs) Teach him not to be toxic masculine. Yes. Get some linen pants. (laughs) Go to the bookstore. Go f- buy 50 books at the bookstore. <laughs> Make sure the paparazzi sees you. Book talk will be thirsty. <laughs> so Patrick Dunbar met Edward Balliol, who was Edward III's kind of puppet king. Right. Wannabe king. Uh, he met him on the battlefield several times. Crushed it as usual. Sure. Again, we're talking about a, ki- a really good soldier. Patrick's here. badass. Yeah. And Edward Balliol was eventually forced to ask Edward III for help. Mm. He's like, I can't take over Scotland by myself. I need some English soldiers. And the king answered the call, and together they besieged Berwick, that important border town we talked about earlier, and they won the Battle of Halidon Hill. Mm. Well, Patrick Dunbar was forced to surrender. And in order to avoid prison, he bent the knee to both Edwards, Edward Balliol as king of Scotland, and Edward III as king of England. Okay. And as part of their agreement to not arrest or kill Patrick, Edward III ordered him to destroy the fortifications of Castle Dunbar so the Scots could not use it as a base of operations to wage war against the British. Okay. So again, this is the strongest fortress in Scotland. It's one. Of, it's a very strategically important place. Right, right. And the, the Scots were definitely using it sure. <laughs> in their guerrilla war. <laughs> So he's like, let's deny them this base of operations. Destroy your house. So Patrick and Agnes had to deliberately make their historic home and Scotland's greatest fortress weaker for their enemy. But even more frustrating, as soon as they were done dismantling stuff, Edward III changed his mind. And he told Patrick to make this place battle ready once again at Patrick's own expense. Wow. So he straight up is like, what did you do with all the fortifications? We need this place. I'm like, uh, you just told me to break them up? Who told you I that? I would never say something so ridiculous. What an absurd. Wow, I know no one's ever said this before, but the King of England is kind of a dick. <laughs> wow, brand new take <laughs> about the King of England. So it took years to renovate the castle back to its original or better strength. But by 1337, it was fortified once more. And even though Patrick had sworn allegiance to England, he was still helping the Scots out on the side. You know he was. And that's because he was firmly tied to the Scots because of his wife, Agnes. Mm -hmm. Patrick took up arms in several battles against the English, fighting alongside Agnes's younger brother, John Randolph, the Earl of Moray, 
and Sir Alexander Ramsay to defeat the English Count Namer. After Namer was beaten, John Randolph escorted the Count to safety, but he was ambushed and taken prisoner by the English. Damn! Patrick Dunbar and Alexander Ramsay barely escaped with their lives, according to Deborah McGillivray. But this brings us to our main story today, which is the Siege of Dunbar Castle. In January of 1338, Patrick Dunbar was off fighting probably either a battle or preparing to fight one. Mm -hmm. And Agnes of Dunbar, his wife, was at home at Dunbar Castle, which had been, of course, all fortified and super strong right now. Sparkling, brand spanking new brand fortification. New, wet paint, don't yeah. touch. <laughs> it was pretty common in medieval times for the woman of the house to defend her home and her lands when her husband wasn't around. And Agnes took that job very seriously. That's right. But the British Earl of Salisbury, William Montagu, thought that he would take advantage of the brave and daring Patrick's absence. He figures this castle's really important. And right now there's just some lady and her servants, like a couple guards taking care of it. So this should be an easy victory. This sounds to me like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. Yes! (laughs) Like, let's knock off this. It's just some kid. Just some kid. Let's go rob this place. Oh my, this is actually very much like a 1338 (laughs) Scottish Home Alone. Yes, let's (laughs) make it. HBO, are you listening? Really well. (laughs) If I could please (laughs) get Macaulay Culkin to play Agnes Dunbar. Oh my God. (laughs) Absolutely hilarious. Surely there's a Scottish woman. No, there is a Scottish woman out there who would be a better choice. (laughs) So he's like, oh, easy peasy, whatever. He shows up. Salisbury shows up at Castle Dunbar with 20,000 men. And he told Agnes, surrender in the name of the King of England. But to his surprise, Agnes responded with a resounding, no, bitch. (laughs) Oh, damn. She apparently told him, quote, of Scotland's king, I had my house. I pay him meat and fee. And I will keep my good old house while my house will keep me. And Salisbury's like, okay, this bitch is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's the middle of winter. She's got no supplies, no men, and she's rhyming at me. (laughs) Like, what? Come on, boys, let's get to sieging. We should be done in like 15 minutes. (laughs) He's so confident. Well, so Salisbury's army dragged out the mangonels or these siege engines, like big kind of trebuchet catapult things. And they start hurling giant boulders at the ramparts of Castle Dunbar. All day for two weeks, they would rain these big ass boulders onto the castle. But brand spanking new, shiny, and fortified as it was, <laughs> these stones didn't really do as much damage as Salisbury would have liked. Mm-hmm. And then to add insult to injury, when the English stopped for the day, Agnes would come out with her ladies-in-waiting and just sort of casually dust off the ramparts uh, with their handkerchiefs. Like, ew, why are you boys always so messy? <laughs> Basically acting like they hadn't done much but spread some dirt around. Mm. Oh, to clean up this mess again. Uh, Boys down there, when you're playing with your toys tomorrow, (laughs) can you try and keep things a little more tidy? Can you clean up after yourselves next time? (laughs) And yeah, he must be like, like, (laughs) oh my God. How dare you? How insulting. So Salisbury's like, all right, all right, all right, let's bring out the big guns. Mm-hmm. Let me show this lady who's boss. And he built a sow, which is this big movable siege engine that allowed men to use a battering ram on the castle doors 
while being protected from arrows or boiling oil or whatever from above. Well, Agnes is like, uh, you better be using that sow because I'm about to catch me a bunch of, quote, little English piggies. (laughs) So Salisbury's gets worked up again. He does not like how she is just mocking him Uh to his face. Very much. Sorry, it, very much like the the French knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, right, like real taunting mm-hmm. and insulting and just belittling this man. And she, he's like, oh, hilarious. And she's like, your mother smells of elderberry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except she's probably like, your mother smells of dog shite. I true. That's so true. <laughs> she would not even bother. She'd just be like, actually, you also smell like dog uh-huh. shite. So I guess it runs in the runs family. In the family. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, Salisbury immediately deploys the sow. It gets close to the castle walls and they start battering. But Agnes and the few men that she had at her disposal had been collecting those boulders that the English had been throwing at them. So they simply tossed one over the castle walls and completely crushed the sow. (laughs) And Salisbury's like, oh shit. And Agnes waves at him. She's like, oh, thank you so much for the ammunition. Oh my God appreciate it would have been screwed without all these boulders (laughs) (laughs) incredible so as the survivors come running back to the english line she called out quote behold the litter of english pigs scurrying salisbury's dignity has taken a real hit because even the guards got into it one of agnes's archers deliberately drew down on Salisbury like he met his eye and he's like, I'm about to kill you. <sighs> then deliberately hit the guy next to him Whoa. and yelled out, quote, Agnes's love shafts go straight to the heart. Wow. <laughs> well, clearly Salisbury was not very good at his job not and he working. had to think of a new strategy. Patrick had fortified the absolute shit out of the castle at Edward III's command. That's right. And Agnes was not scared enough to give in. So Salisbury went up to the Scottish soldier who was guarding the portcullis, and he bribed him to leave the gate unsecured so so me and my men could storm the castle and get inside. Mm. Here's a shilling for your time. And the guard was like, oh, sure, bet, gotcha. (laughs) And he took Salisbury's money, and sure enough, a short while later, the portcullis creaked <gasps> open. Backstabber! This traitor. <sighs> well, Salisbury and his men went charging up. And one guy sort of managed to get ahead of Salisbury, real eager soldier. And he entered the gate first. Victory! We're inside! Except not. Because as soon as this eager little soldier got inside the bailey, or the outer wall of the castle, the portcullis slammed shut trapping him inside. The Scottish guard had apparently happily taken Salisbury's money as a bribe, (laughs) but then he went straight to Agnes with the story. That's right. (laughs) And she cooked up a little scheme to take Salisbury prisoner. They were going to try and trap him inside the bailey. Lady, (laughs) Lady Dunbar, would you believe? (laughs) This Englishman thinks that he can give me a shilling. (laughs) I'll just do whatever he says. We've got to come up with something funny. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, oh, no, we're going to use this. Oh, we're going to use this. (laughs) Incredible. Well, this eager little soldier ruined it because they caught him instead. But Mm -hmm. even though it didn't work, you know, our girl got the last word. Of course. She called down to him, quote, farewell, Montague. I intended that you should have supped with us and assist (laughs) us in defending the castle against the English. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's straight up. I had a plate laid out for you and everything. I thought you were coming in. I thought you were coming in to help out. Oh, well, all right. I guess see you next time. <laughs> Incredible. So Agnes is killing it. I mean, she is not only holding her fort, yeah. she is pissing him off <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so hard. And she has not fired a single shot herself. Salisbury's getting angry by the day. Months had gone by. He could not get one castle out of the hands of a 26-year-old woman. Right. So he's pacing around his little war tent or whatever. And he's like, what does this horrible woman love? What will make her give in? And he realized that the English actually did have something very precious to Agnes. Her brother, John Randolph, the Earl of Moray. Remember, he had been taken prisoner a while back. Right. And he and Agnes corresponded frequently while he was, I mean, he was away. He was like imprisoned for years. Yeah. And he went to like many different locations. She always wrote to him and he always wrote back so that he's like, oh, she must be really fond of him. I know exactly what to do. So Salisbury's like, get John out here. And he brings John up to the gate and throws a noose around his neck. And he calls out to Agnes, Surrender, or I will execute your beloved baby brother right in front of you. (gasps) How rude. Well, what do you think happened? Uh... Agnes gave in and the story's over. No, just kidding. (laughs) Agnes just laughed in his face and she told him to go for it. She said, you'll be doing me a favor, actually. I'm John's heir. So if he dies, I'll be the Countess of Moray. Which was a title that she already felt belonged to her because she was the eldest child. Thank you very much. Who cares about gender? So she's like, all his land and property will come to me. So I'll watch happily. (laughs) Go ahead and kill him. And Salisbury was left looking really stupid because he never planned to kill John. He couldn't. John was a really important hostage. Oh, my God. (laughs) So Agnes totally called his bluff. And he just had to, like, take the rope off of John's neck and be like, okay, well... Yeah, back back to prison with you, I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> Embarrassing. This is him, like, getting so angry that oh. he got tarred and feathered. Yes. So he goes up to grab the doorknob and the blowtorch <laughs> hits him on the head. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I like to think that John knew that Agnes was just... Calling his bluff. You know, I hope he wasn't standing there I mean, like, damn, Agnes, like... <laughs> he's probably shit. like, uh, a bold strategy there, sister. Way to call his bluff. And she's like... <laughs> Yeah, call his bluff. That's what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Agnes is still firmly in control of Castle Dunbar, and Salisbury is red as hell in the face. Mm. But he did come up with a new strategy, and that was just to starve her out. We will find out how successful he was right after this break. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, me lairds and ladies. So to catch us up, Salisbury had shown up at Dunbar in January. His boulders had been returned to him. (laughs) His bribes were unsuccessful. And his attempt to murder her family was just laughed at. Mm -hmm. Well, now it was summertime. And Salisbury knew that Agnes and her people were already rationing their food and water. So he decided to set up a blockade and starve her out of the castle. With his 20,000 men... He cut off all the roads and he paid Genoese galleys to block the ports so no support could come in from the sea. And then he cut off all communication with the outside world. Damn, so she couldn't call for help. Yep. He he cut the phone lines, <laughs> blocked out the satellites. It really looked like Agnes's goose was truly cooked this time. But fortunately for her, Patrick's old friend, Sir Alexander Ramsay, learned about Agnes's entrapment. And he never wasted an opportunity to screw around with these British idiots. Oh, no. So he left Edinburgh and approached the castle under the cover of night with 40 of his best guys who were ready for a fight. And he also snuck in food for the people of Dunbar. So the next day, Salisbury was twice surprised. Hmm. First, when Agnes sent him a freshly baked loaf of bread to show him <laughs> she had provisions to last all summer if she had to. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, the uh, trolling that she is doing. Comes out, I made you boys all sandwiches. <laughs> Who's hungry? You looked a bit peckish out here. I love, like, she would do killer on Twitter. If Agnes oh, yeah, and Dunbar right. had a Twitter, we, it would be over for us. Just ice cold burns constantly. <laughs> She'd be roasting constantly. Be such a shit poster. <laughs> and say, I mean, seriously. So Salisbury's like, oh, he like rips up the bread. <laughs> And he decides to strike quickly before Agnes and her people get too, you know, fed up and strong again. So he launched a fresh assault on the castle. And that's when he was surprised for the second time as Ramsay and his hardened Scots veterans came running out of the castle Uh and easily pushed this giant army 
all the way back to there. Wow. This is like a Sparta situation where they had like <laughs> 300 dudes. Yeah. Against 20, <laughs> they had 000. even less than that. And they still were like, ah, we got to get out of here. <laughs> uh, so Agnes had held the castle on her own for five months. And Salisbury was a laughing stock. Yeah. His siege had cost the English crown 6,000 pounds. <laughs> Amazing. And had gotten them nowhere. Right? They had gotten nothing. They got a worse reputation. I mean, basically. Yeah. I feel like how, how many Scots were like super emboldened oh, by this yeah. story? You know, yeah. like, okay, all you got to do is play with their dignity. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they will and they fall to pieces. Defeat themselves eventually. <laughs> So Salisbury was forced to admit defeat. He lifted the siege and left for England on June 10th, 1338. Wow. Now, eventually, thanks to his hundred years war with France and the Black Plague hitting England pretty hard, Edward III had to negotiate a truce with Scotland. Incredible. He just had too much other shit going on. So the Treaty of Berwick was signed in 1357. So partly in thanks to this badass, very literally holding down the fort. The Scots got their independence, and Agnes became a legend. There was even a ballad written about her from Silly Salisbury's point of view. <laughs> so let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear a verse. She makes a stir in tower and trench, that brawling, boisterous Scottish wench. Came I early, came I late, I found Agnes. At the gate. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> He's Amazing. like, I showed up early in the morning. You know, showed up when, late at night. That bitch was standing there. <laughs> when the bards write songs about you, this isn't what you want from Salisbury. I know, <laughs> right? He's like, was, oh, okay. Well, they wrote songs about me talking about what a loser I was. <laughs> well, Patrick Dunbar would continue to fight the British until that treaty in 1357. And he fought alongside John Randolph until he was killed in the Battle of Neville's Cross. And that meant that his title reverted to the crown because he had no children. But Agnes didn't agree. She just started using the title Countess of Moray, and no one dared to question her about it. <laughs> That's right. Like, she's, she already thought it was hers right. the whole time, so. <laughs> Even her husband, Patrick Dunbar, started using it. <laughs> He's like, I'm the Count of Moray, thanks to my wife. Now, eventually, the title went to her nephew. When the Treaty of Berwick was being discussed to end the war in 1357... Patrick was one of the lords who went along to discuss the release of King David II from the English prison he was in. Remember, mm -hmm. that was the toddler who was crowned king and Patrick mm -hmm. was the regent for him. That's right. And then as he was growing up, he spent a lot of time in exile in France. Right. And then he joined the war and then he got captured. You know, it's like a whole thing with King David II. Right. <laughs> and Patrick ended up being a hostage that England kept as collateral until King David II's ransom was paid. But Patrick wasn't kept under lock and key, so after the first payment was made, he just went on his merry way. Which turns out to be maybe a bad idea, because King David never did pay his whole ransom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he embezzled a lot of money oh. from the Scottish taxpayers uh -oh, that's no good. <laughs> in order to do so. It made him very unpopular. Whoops. But he never actually did finish paying it off. Well, Agnes and Patrick ended up having no children together, but they did have a ward who was probably Agnes's sister's daughter, her niece. Uh, and her name was also Agnes Dunbar. She would become the mistress of King David II. Hmm. So they kept it in the family. Like they, like they do. Like they I do. Guess. Like they get papal dispensations to do. Uh -huh. 
Now, Agnes died in 1368, and Patrick died just a few months later. Now, I found this story, I guess, probably a couple weeks ago or something. Yeah. And I was so into it because I was just like, this lady's such a shit poster. Right, basically. right. I was just like, she's so funny. It's just hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, I want to do this story. And Eli told me not to do it because he thinks it's not a ridiculous romance. Because well, it's just about like this wife holding somet- down the some- fort. Sometimes we stretch into, I would say, particularly women's history, because these stories are so interesting and, and typically untold. So during our research, sometimes we come across one and we're like, we got to do this episode. How can we wedge it into being a story about a relationship? <laughs> but mainly because, like, especially in medieval times, they didn't write about women. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the most you ever got recorded was if you had a baby or not. Right. And even if when you died, they didn't bother to write it down. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like. Your life and accomplishments and the things you do don't matter to anybody. They don't matter for posterity the way men's actions do or whatever. So I think it is really important when a wife eclipses her husband, I guess, because that's so unusual. If there's not a man in the story, how am I supposed to relate? (laughs) No, I've I've come around uh, since we read it (laughs) and started doing it. But next time... I'm going to do a story just about a husband eclipsing his wife. Oh, it'll be so hard for you to find a story about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Enlighten us about the unknown George Washington. Yeah, no. It... <laughs> George Washington. I don't know. I was thinking about a guy who's more famous than his wife. <laughs> I mean, we, we've done him. George Lucas, you know, like. I know, we've, right? We've seen it happen. Marsha deserved that episode, damn it. She did. She did. Well, and I think we even talked about this when we were talking about doing this show at all. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, I think it's really narrow to have to do couples. Yeah. Like to have to do right. people who were together. Yeah. Because a lot of women only succeeded because they were able to get away from their husbands yeah. or not get married or live. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. A lot of the, a lot of the episodes we have done have been very much about, you know, uh, these partnerships between two people, not even always a man and a woman, mm-hmm. but uh, where one person who's, who's not the cis male in that partnership. Right. Uh, doesn't really get the attention that they deserve in history. Right. Um, and that's led to some really cool episodes for us. Yeah, I think that's ki- uh, kind of what opened me up or whatever when we started sort of making our giant list yeah. of s- possible subjects. Yeah. And I was like, actually, people have been fucking for a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, there's so much history that you can cover through the lens of a couple or yeah. a- an affair or yeah. whatever, as we have done. No. But I think this is just one of those to me. People, I think it fits. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, and honestly, like after we read through it, that's, I mean, yes, that's what I think too. I'm, oh, you know. yeah. Well, whatever we think or whatever you think, we're really excited to tell this story of Agnes of Dunbar, one of the few women in history who eclipsed her husband by being sassy and defiant. Yes. And trolling the shit out of some English dude. Oh, she's incredible. <laughs> and, and totally like hitting him in the face with a paint can. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> a metaphorical Scottish paint can. Plaid paint, you know, like in the cartoons, yes, like where they pop open a pan of cake and it was already patterned, and <laughs> yes. you could just paint tartan paint all over uh, Earl of Salisbury. Uh huh. <laughs> I wonder if it's still standing, Castle Dunbar, because I would love to go see it. I feel like it must be right. Who it's could the bring it down? It's fortress. <laughs> but thirteen thirty eight was a long ass time ago, so who knows? Hey, Scottish friends, 
you have two things to tell us. One, our accent's offensive. <laughs> and two, <laughs> two is Castle Dunbar still around? <laughs> um, well, I hate to tell you. Is it not? There's some ruins. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. Is it, that's a long-ass time ago, 1338. Yeah. The last of the castle was uh, damaged in 1567, apparently, deliberately to reduce its value. Mm. Uh, as a military target. So probably very similar to what Edward III was trying to do when he was like, don't bring it down so it can't be used against me. Yeah. She had a long run, 1300s to the 1560s. Sure That's longer than that. Older than America. I know, but even longer <laughs> than that because uh, Patrick's mom defended it. Right, so it was right. already standing. Yeah, it so. was built uh, uh, in the 7th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today, y'all. Yes. Let us know what you think yeah. about Agnes of Dunbar and Patrick and this whole story. Um, I hope you loved it as much as we did. You can reach us through email at ridicromance at gmail.com. That's right. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And the show is at Ridic Romance. And you can find us on TikTok at Ridiculous Romance. Thanks so much for tuning in. Can't wait to bring you the next episode. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.